So when you know how like everyone stands when the bride walks down the, the aisle there, it's like a traditional thing for people to do. And they did that. They all stood up and they came down the front and I proceeded to do what I was gonna do for like I don't know, how long was it? Twenty five minutes. Twenty five minutes exactly, or was it so and I and you know and and I didn't stop to think for a moment. It was in an old chapel and it didn't, we didn't have a PA system so I was projecting my voice as loud as I could so the people in the back could hear and all of these people were standing and I'm speaking and, and you know it never dawned on me that I had eye contact and I didn't have to look down like this and they were all looking at me and I was looking at them and a couple of people that are in here this morning were going like this. <laughs> and so I was, I, was, I was saying and you realize that you know God and they were going like this, and I said, and you realize it got... <laughs> and, and they kept doing that, and I, and I thought, there's no way that I can keep lowering my voice because no one's going to hear what I have to say. And um, you know, it just so happened, it was, it was good in this particular ceremony. We moved up a little further when they were going to do their vials. And as, as we were moving back like this, and I was going back this way, because I had a podium for my notes, and that always amazes people when I do weddings. They say, well, the other guys who do it never use notes. I <laughs> say, so, well, I'm not as bright as them. And they always go, yeah, that's true. And so I, I started to drag this podium back, and they walked up front, and then I just heard people going, doo, doo, doo. And I thought, well, okay, if you want to sit down, go ahead. You can sit down for this next part. That's okay with me. I don't care. It doesn't matter. So, um, so as I walked in this morning, I said, oh, you know, maybe we should just all stand this morning for the whole time. Excuse me. Anyway, um, you know, and and if you've never used one of these these portable microphones, they're really sensitive. I don't know if you've ever had to use one of these, but you know, they really you can just like whisper in this one if you have your head down here. Or they're real sensitive, or if it hits your clothes, it scratches and things like this. And it reminds me of this uh, Anglican priest. He was an older gentleman, never used one of these things before, and he had this portable microphone on, and he was trying to get used to it. And he was in the middle of conducting a, you know, a highly liturgical service where the congregation is used to responding even though they don't really think out the responses. And uh, halfway through it, he heard this buzzing and this whirring and this noise. And he goes, you know, there's, there's something wrong with this microphone. To which the congregation said, and also with you. And um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll keep that in mind. There, there's, a, uh, there's a real temptation having not been here for two or three weeks to really just unload all the barrels on you and stuff like that. And I was just informed by one of our uh, uh, residents here that, well, if, would you stand up, Jackie, stand up for a second. Come on, would you stand up for a second? Jackie came walking up. He said, hey, listen, you haven't been here for a couple of weeks. Stand up for a second again so everyone can take a good. He said that you haven't been here for a couple of weeks and I've been here after you haven't been here for a while and you tend to go overboard and you really go crazy. You know, you just talk too long. You do. I just want to let you know there's like two good games on today. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a, there's, a vi there's a visual aid for you, huh? Whoa. So, I'll uh, keep that in mind. Uh, oh, there was one guy that did that too. He, was, he spoke too long and uh, he was really dragging this thing out. And he did the same thing. He hadn't spoke for a while and he hadn't been doing a lot of public speaking. He got carried away and he got all excited and he kept on speaking. And, and uh, toward the end, he noticed that he was losing people, was dropping off. He goes, well, I've got much more to say, but I noticed uh, Jesus whispered in my ears that this is a good place to quit. At which all of the people got together and said, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> and uh, so, I'll keep that in mind. In our study on rewards, we've got to a point where we're going to address two questions this morning. And that is the question of who owns what and who owes what. 
many of us will have a problem dealing with this because we struggle and we wrestle with it as far as what those questions entail. Who owns what? Who owes what? Every day of our lives, we will make decisions based upon what you believe about these two issues. Who owns what and who owes what? Let me ask you a question. How many of you, what kind of car do you own? What kind of car do you own? Which one? Yeah. Which one? Um, have, you been able to, uh, have you been able to buy your dream house yet? Still kind of planning for it? Still kind of got it in mind? How about, uh, have you been able to maybe buy that second home, that dream home they have in the, in the mountains or maybe down in the desert, the little condo down in the desert? Or have you, bought, have you bought that piece of property? You know, have you bought that piece of property that's going to be, that's where your dream home's going to go. You got the property, you, you're working on the plans, you can't wait to be able to build it some, that house someday and move down there and to live there. See, or maybe after, you know, the holidays, you got like a nice piece of clothes that, man, you really like what you own. See, those questions are questions that we deal with every day. And, I, you know, I didn't disguise them real well, but they all tie back into what we're going to talk about this morning. Who owns what and who owes what? And as you deal with those questions and you begin to think about what you believe about what you owe or what you own, it, it, it affects the way that you live your lives. And uh, I talked to a guy recently, and he said um, he, just, he just bought his dream home. And I asked him a couple questions, but one of the questions was, how did you decide to buy this home? And he said, well, one, I've always wanted it. We've always dreamed about it. We've always wanted it. And two, we were able to afford it. Now, see, affordability, depending on how you look at it, has a lot to do with what we're taught around us. See, affordability, according to the world standards or the banking systems that we have, is if your debt-to-asset ratio is within a certain structure or within certain alignment, then you can, quote, afford it. See, so as I asked him that question, he said, well, we always wanted it and we can afford it. That's how we came to the conclusion that we could do it. I challenge you as you consider that this morning to think about decisions that you're making in your life in the area of purchases or finances as it deals with this whole subject of rewards. How many of you have come to the conclusion that number one is if we've always wanted it and now we can afford it, that it's okay to do it? That's what we're going to look at this morning. If that's your criteria to making that decision, then you need to understand what the Bible has to teach on the whole subject of who owes what and who owns what. So we're going to deal with that this morning. But there are three great, I'd say three ideological systems that we live in today. The first system is communism. And at the core of communism is the fact that, number one, God does not exist. Therefore, he is not a consideration. In communism, the state owns everything and the individual owns nothing. And the majority of the world operates under that system. Whatever benefits the state at the expense of the individual is okay under that structure. So we've got communism. We've got capitalism, to which we are both politically and economically affiliated with in this country. And capitalism says the state owns nothing, the individual owns everything. And when the state begins to intrude upon the rights of the individual, it's cause for great concern in our lives. 
And so we have initiatives or referendums or we enact laws that eliminate or at least restrain the state from being able to step in over the rights of the individual. That is capitalism. In capitalism, the structure allows for God to exist, but what we're seeing happen in our society is that God can exist within the framework of capitalism, but we begin to limit his role. Then the third structure is that of a combination of the two, of Christianity and capitalism, and how we try to make the two coexist with one another. See, in Christianity, the Bible teaches that God owns everything, and that everything is his, but as Christian capitalist or in uh, Christianism or capitalianity, uh, somehow, I don't know how you wanna, what you want to say about it, but somehow we've come to the conclusion that we respect the right for God to exist and as Christians we know that he does. But as Christian capitalists we realize that God exists for our benefit and that we still own everything as individuals and God is put in the same category as the state and when he begins to infringe upon our rights then we need to come up with some initiative somehow some Christian referendum that says God stay where you belong but don't try to interfere with what we believe are our rights taught to us by the institutions of this country that as capitalists you own everything see and if you're a capitalist and you own everything guess what rights you have you have the right to do anything that you want with what you own our country teaches if you own something, you can give it away, you can burn it, unless, of course, you're an arsonist who tries to collect on the insurance, and then we have some laws to protect against that. But you can burn it, you can throw it away, you can give it away, you can do anything that you want with it. You know why? Because the state doesn't own it. The state has no rights to tell you what to do. You can do anything that you want with it. And so what we do is we carry that ideological baggage over into this book right here and we say that, wait a minute, the higher institutions of our country teach us that we are capitalists and that as individuals we own everything and if we own everything we can do whatever we want with what it is that we own and so we buy into this whole program of, number one, I've always wanted it and number two, we can afford it so therefore it must be right because that's what we were taught in school. Now we got to deal with, well, what does the Bible teach? If you and I wrestle with decisions, and this is a great time to stop and, and think about what you're doing in the future as far as 1989 is concerned. You've got dreams, you've got aspirations, you've got major purchases that you want to make, and a lot of it's going to be determined on whether or not you believe you own everything, and as an individual you have the right to do anything that you want as long as you can afford it and as long as you've always wanted it. Or you've got to address what God has to say about it and somehow or another lay aside our tendency to lean toward capitalism and away from Christianity because Christianity is going to infringe, as you're going to see, on what you believe. So with that in mind, we're going to take a look at a parable that many of you are familiar with. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. I don't know, you've probably heard it taught a million times. I know that I have. I know I, I've studied this. I, you know, I know it by heart for the most part. But a lot of times what happens in very familiar passages, and Matthew 25 in particular is one of them. Let me, let me read it and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, starting with verse 14, we read about the kingdom of God. It says, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. It says, for the kingdom of God, it is like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. 
and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you've entrusted five talents to me, and see, I have gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you've entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came to him and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Let's ask God to bless our time. <clears throat> our Father, we are aware of uh, this particular parable. We've read it, we've studied it, we've heard it taught many times. But God, we just pray this morning that you can just open our eyes to some new truths as we deal with this whole subject of rewards and what, what your word teaches us about it. Father, we just pray that we could be open-minded, not just to, to learn it from a head knowledge, but also to apply it into our lives. That your word would change the way that we live on a day-to-day -day basis. And we just thank you for that and ask that you give us the strength to be obedient in the things that we learn. We just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> How many of you have studied the parables of talent? Parables of talent. How many have studied the parables of talent? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Okay. You are now eligible for the next question. What are the talents? What are the talents? Pardon me? A measure of money. Very good. Another answer? Any other answers? Possessions. Uh, gifts. I hear gifts. Anything else? Responsibilities. Uh, money, uh, possessions, gifts, responsibilities. Um, what else? Anything else? Pardon me? Real talents. How about that one? Money, possessions, responsibility, gifts, real talents. Pardon me? Time. Time. Let's throw that one in there. Uh, time. Okay. All of these things I have heard have been used to teach this parable. Have you? You know what's great about that? The more things that we can make it be, the less likely it is that we have to make it practical. You follow that? I mean, that's the way this works, isn't it? See, if I can make it be uh, like a hundred things, then I don't really have to deal with one. So what I'd like to do is this morning, let's just eliminate all the preconceptions and presuppositions about what talents are. And let's assume for a moment, if we would, that talents are exactly what Jesus taught they were in the context of this parable, and that is that it was money. Okay? It was money. 
So, what that means is that as we go through this, what God is dealing with in each one of our lives is how we use money. Okay? Can't get any more specific than that. And the problem is, then that means you're going to have to deal with that issue in your life. See, I like that. Because if you believe it's like a hundred different things, then nothing means anything to you and you don't have to do anything. See, so what the Bible's teaching, and we're going to go through, is that we are going to assume by personalize this that God is talking about money, and if you want, possessions, but tangible, tangible physical things. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so that's what we're going to look at. Now, do you own the mindset that's expressed by Jesus Christ as he talks to us and teaches us what it is that he wants us to learn? Okay, you ready? What is your mindset concerning money? Are you a capitalist? Are you a Christian? Are you uh, fall under the old capitalanity? Where do you fit? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Number one is there's eight truths, okay? You ready? This is the first one. First one is, For it is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Okay, let me give you a little background. Guess what's going on here? Jesus Christ takes his disciples and he says to them, I'm about to go away on a journey. I am going to leave, and if I leave, I'm going to come back someday. The great premise of Christianity is that Jesus Christ came, he lived a life that was perfect and sinless, that he died for you and I on the cross. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, and by putting our faith and trust in that act that was completed 2,000 years ago, that we are now... Uh, we are now pleasing to God within his sight because of who Jesus Christ is and not because of anything we've done. So Jesus teaches his disciples that if you put your faith and trust in me, then you have now entered into the kingdom of God. You are now one of my followers. I am about to leave. I'm going to go away. And there will be a day that we're living in now, the timetable that says Jesus Christ is gone. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father and that one day he will return in his glory and that is what the great hope of all of us is, is the day that Jesus Christ will come back. The blessed assurance or the comfort of all believers is that Jesus Christ will return one day. So we are in that timetable that's from the time that he went away until the time that he comes back. You got it? So as he teaches this to them, he says this. He says, it is like a man, the kingdom of God is like a man about to go on a journey. Jesus is about to leave them. So he calls his own slaves, his own slaves... Those who believed in him, have put their faith in him, have trusted in him, are now his slaves, says, and entrusted his possessions to them. The first truth that Jesus teaches is that you are not the boss. You got it? You are not the boss. I am not the boss. If I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I have gone from being the boss and the Lord of my life to the servant and slave of Jesus Christ. He owns me. The Bible says he bought me with a price when he died for my sins. So now I am no longer the boss, but he is the boss. You got it? Even though the struggle of a capitalist is to be your own boss, to be an entrepreneur. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the problem is, how many of you heard advertisements this weekend about um, Franchise Expo at the Westin Bonaventure? The Franchise Expo now taking place this weekend at the Westin Bonaventure. All the different franchises of the world are going to be there with their booths and displays so that you, let me quote this right, 
so that you can put some direction in your life by becoming your own boss. Put some direction in your life by becoming your own boss. That's what the Franchise Expo, now taking place in downtown Los Angeles, is about to teach everyone that walks through the door. That you can put some direction in your life because you can be your own boss. How many of you have ever struggled with wanting to be their own boss? Amen. Every day you go to work and somebody tells you what to do, you say, I want to be the boss. I want to be able to do what that person just did to me. <laughs> and preferably back to that person. Not just to anybody, although that would be good too, but preferably back to that person. Huh? Have you ever wrestled with that? This is what Francis Schaeffer says. People in the world naturally want to boss others. Imagine a boy beginning with a firm. He's ordered around by everybody. Do this, do that. He's the last man on the totem pole. One day when the boss is out, he goes into the boss's office, sits down behind his desk, and says out loud, one day I'll be in this position. And when I say do this, they'll do it. And when I say run, they'll run. Francis Schaeffer says, this is man. And let us say with tears that a person does not automatically abandon this mentality when he becomes a Christian. There remains a seed in us that wants to be boss, a word of power in us that will keep us above all the others. The struggle that you and I have when it comes to making decisions, listen to me, decisions with your finances, is this basic premise of who is the boss. The Bible teaches, Christianity teaches, that you and I are not the boss, that Jesus Christ is the boss. And so as a result, how does that affect the way that we decide how we use, quote, our money and our things? How does that affect the way you decide whether you're going to build your dream house or not? How does that affect the way you decide what car you're going to buy or what home you're going to own or what money you're going to spend in what areas? See, if you realize you're not the boss and you have to answer to someone, see, a, a communist, guess what? They can't make those decisions. You know why? The individual doesn't own anything. The state owns everything and the state determines how and where you'll spend your money. They take that decision away from you and they make that decision for you. The great freedom that we've all fallen into as capitalists is that we have come to believe that when it comes to my money, I can decide to do anything I want with it. So now Jesus says, wait a minute, the kingdom of God though, Christianity, God's kingdom, you are not the boss. You do not have the, the ability to say what you'll do with your money because it's not your money. Notice what he says. Verse 14. He entrusted his possessions to them. They're his. And if they're his, then we need to go to him and ask us and ask him what we can do with it. Because it's his possessions. You follow that? It makes a... It makes a, a great difference on what you believe. Whether you, and one of the things that, that, let me just throw out to you, whether you ever are your own, quote, boss, you will never be your own boss. You got it? When you wrestle every day with, I would love to be my own boss, as a person who has put their faith and trust in Christ, you will never be your own boss. 
You have been crucified with Christ, the Bible teaches. You no longer exist, but Christ lives through you. And when Christ lives through you, you don't exist as an individual, so you cannot be your own boss because you don't exist anymore. But Christ lives through you. So if you are struggling on a day-to-day -day basis of listening to somebody else, having to report to somebody else, having to submit to somebody else, let me just help you right now and get it real quick so that you don't go through this frustration that follows with that kind of mindset. And that is that you and I will never be the boss, whether the world says you're the boss or not, because you and I are always accountable to the one boss. We only got one. There's only one boss. There's only room for one on that throne. So he says, I brought them all together and I entrusted my possessions to them. So now the whole thing is, you need to understand that anything that you have has been entrusted to you by God himself because it's his. You're not the boss. Okay? Number two. Not only are we not the boss, but we don't own anything. We own nothing. If it's like the man who's going on the journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. The Bible teaches that God owns everything. That if he's made us and he made everything, then he also made everything that he's allowed us to have. And so he owns it anyway. So you and I don't own anything. So as he talks and teaches us about money, the question you need to ask yourself is, since I don't own this, I better check with who does to see if it's okay if I do what I want to do. I mean, and we can carry it out to an example that we'd all understand. You take somebody who's a banker and you entrust your possessions to that bank, which are not your possessions, they're God's possessions, so you entrust those possessions to the bank. And so the banker is basically just managing those possessions for you who he thinks is the owner, but you know differently now that you don't own it anyway, that God owns it. So he better be real careful what he does with it. You might even want to tell him the next time you go make a deposit. Say, look, you know, I'd like to deposit God's money into this particular account. And uh, you better be real careful what you do with that because, hey, look, you're not accountable to me. It's God's. You're accountable to him. And just kind of walk out and see what kind of reaction you get. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Like, whoa, keep an eye on that account. But we don't own anything. You know, the whole thing about stewardship is that we have to, and if, you, and if he's going to do something, quote, with your money, He's got, a, he's got guidelines and laws that restrict the freedom that he has to do what he may want to do. So as stewards of God's money, we are in the same position of saying, okay, God has given us certain freedoms, but those freedoms all fall within what he teaches here, and we better be careful to consult him on what we're about to do with what he owns because we don't owe it. own it. You follow me? You having a good time this morning? Ah, good. This is good. I know. You talk about money, boy. People get all uptight. It's like your stiff jaws. That's okay. So anyway, you don't own anything. Doesn't that make you feel good? And you know what's great about that? I mean, if you're in a big hurry to own more things, slow down. Because you don't own anything. And you never will. Isn't that great? I mean, you think about it, The whole capitalist approach is more, 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 possession, possession, possession. And, and the more that we have, uh, more successful we are. And God says, hey, you know what? The more that you have and the more that you own, quote, and the more that you hoard, the, the less successful you are in the kingdom of God. Oh, I don't know. I think I, I lean toward capitalism. Okay, number three. This is great, too. You don't even determine the amount that's entrusted to you. 
Don't you like this? This is great. Listen to this. It says, to the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability, then he went on his journey. You know what's great? Have you ever noticed how it seems like, I don't know how to put this, so I'll just put it in, in the way that I'll put it and I'll get in trouble for it. But that's okay, because at least it'll be my decision. Do you ever notice how it seems like dumb people have a lot of money? <laughs> have you ever noticed that? It just, it floors me sometimes. It's like, the dumber you are, the more money you can make. Now, I only say that because I don't know anybody that has more than me that I consider smarter than me. <laughs> now, I know you don't wrestle with that or struggle with that, but how many of you have looked around and you see people that have a lot of stuff and you just go, I can't even believe it. That guy got to be the dumbest guy I've ever met in my life. He has got to be, yeah. So, you know what we think? We need to get smarter. Right? Because the guy's dumber than me, but he must be smarter than me because he's got more than me. So the trick is, I got to get smarter. So I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get an MBA. I'm going to get a PhD. I'm going to get smart when it comes to economic things so that I can have more things. You know what's so funny? We buy into this Christian television thing that says, well, if you're a Christian, God wants to bless you richly. He wants to unload all these good things on you, all these properties and possessions and money. He wants you to, he doesn't, he doesn't want you to do without any material things. See, that's that capitalanity again, you know, that we see on TV all the time. God wants you to have all these good things. And so what we think is, well, gee whiz, hmm, I must be doing something wrong if I don't have anything. I'm going to have to get smarter about this whole thing. You know what the Bible teaches? It's like, hey, you know what? God allows the rain to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I mean, you look around and you think, man, there are people that have things, they shouldn't have things because they're dumber than me and I don't understand because I'm supposed to be one of God's children and God wants me to have all these things and why am I not having all these things so I must be doing something wrong. Right? Never wrestle with that, huh? It's great. You know what Solomon said? He goes, man, you know what? It paraphrased, obviously, what I'm about to say. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, man, you know what? He goes, the longer I live, the more I realize that I wanted, to get, I wanted to have a lot of things, so I got smarter. And when I got smarter, I really didn't get any more things. And I looked around, and people that weren't as smart as me had just as much as I did, or at least not quite as much, but they had a lot of stuff too. He goes, so I'm really confused about this whole program, so I'm not real sure how this all works out. And I guess the bottom line is that God does whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. Whoa, good conclusion. Have you noticed that? Do you believe that? Do you believe can, God can do anything he wants to do, anytime he wants to do it? You notice this? You know what the, the uh, prerequisite was? He gives to those according to his ability. He looks at you and I. See, this is really humbling. You know what he says in a nutshell? The reason you don't have any more than you do is because I can't trust you with more. Because you are a, a disaster waiting to happen. Okay? What? I mean, he's, I mean, he already given you, he's already tested you out. He's given you a little bit in what you do. Oh, he's always wanted it, and now we can afford it. So what does he do? Okay, mm, I better back down a little bit here. Because they're heading in a direction that says, I got too much, and I don't have time for God now. 
See, the greatest thing that you and I could ever begin to believe is that God will only bless you according to the level of the ability, and he knows you better than you know you, so just be content with what you have and keep just being obedient to what he has you doing. Because if he give you more, you're in trouble. Because you can't handle it. I can't handle it. When I realize it, it's like the greatest thing going. You want to know how? Let me just, here's a self-test for you. Do you believe that God gives you, he can do anything he wants to do when he wants to do it? Do you believe that? Then how about this? How about if you really believe that God owns everything, when I lose any possession for whatever reason, my emotions may cry out, but my mind and my spirit have not the slightest question as to the right of God to take whatever he wants whenever he wants it. Is that your attitude? Hey, God owns it all. He can do anything he wants with it. If he takes it away from me, it may hurt. I may cry out. I may ask why, but I don't question his ability to be able to do anything that he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. It's his decision to make. Is that your attitude when you lose something important to you? Huh? What did Job say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey, it was his to begin with. He wanted it back. I don't care. Praise God. That's okay with me. Is that your attitude when you lose something? How about, what's your attitude when it's time to spend something? Huh? Are there certain things more spiritual, right? Isn't there? Contributions. That's a spiritual area. Okay, when we're going to give money away, that's pretty spiritual. So, God owns that portion that somehow you've decided, I'm going to give back to Him in some way, in some form, through some ministry. But, He doesn't own the other percent. So, we don't have to ask Him about what car we're going to buy, or what house we're going to buy, or how much we're going to spend on food, and how much we're going to do for all of these things that we need, because we've already set aside this little portion for Him over here. How about that? You think there's some, spirit, there's some financial decisions you make that are more spiritual than others? Guess what God says? Every one of them, every check you write, is as spiritual as the other. Every decision that you make, whether it's contributions or to buy a consumable item or something consumptive in your life, is just as spiritual as the other. You want to get real bummed out? Why don't you look at your checkbook register sometime and why don't you look at it or bring it in with you and we'll all share that's what we'll do. We'll share. How many want to do that? How many want to do that? We'll pass it back, you know, to the person behind you because you certainly won't want them to see your face when you're going. <laughs> but, I mean, that's basically, you want to look at what's your ability? Why don't you look at what you're doing with the money that God has entrusted to you? How are you spending it? What are you doing with it? Look at that checkbook register sometime and see, oh, here's some for God and here's me, 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 me. Them, me, me, me. God again, that's good. Oh boy, good thing he's in there again. Um, you see how that works? See, you know, let's get it right to where it hits home. Money. How are you spending God's money? If he owns it all and you don't own anything, you're not the boss, everything has to be run through him, and he gives to you what he believes that you can handle, <laughs> how are you handling it? Huh? How are you handling it? Number four. Now that we're, de we're dealing with that, we need to look at, we are now responsible in that timetable that I gave you from the time that Jesus Christ left until the time that he comes back, we are in that time frame somewhere along this line, and I don't know when it's going to be, but I know we're one day closer than we were yesterday. And so as you look at that timetable, he's gone, he's coming back, we may be here, we may be here, but I know we're in there somewhere. We are now responsible to use God's resources to expand God's kingdom. 
The man who had received the five talents went at once, and he put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. The fourth truth that Jesus teaches about money is that we are now responsible to use God's resources to expand God's kingdom. They are God's resources, it is God's kingdom, and he wants us to utilize those to further his kingdom. What are we doing to further the kingdom of God? Probably the greatest testimony that you and I have to the people around us is what we do with our money. It is the most visible evidence of what we say we believe. You say anything you want. Boy, you can say you believe this, 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 and that, but let me see you put your money where your mouth is. See, i got to believe that's why 60-some percent of these parables deal with money and, and possessions. Because Jesus knew that it was going to be the greatest testimony that you and I had. What you and I do with our money, quote-unquote, determines what we really believe in our heart. For where our heart is, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is as well. Number five. Okay? After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he, set, and he settled accounts with them. Matthew 25, 19 says that there's a time coming in, in the history of the world, in the future history of the world, that is going to be a cataclysmic event. Jesus Christ himself will return and will judge us according to how we use the resources he entrusted to us. There's going to be a, a day where we will answer. And this whole series on rewards deals with this reality that you and I, having placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will someday stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account, particularly in this particular context, for what we do with the money that he's entrusted to us. You and I will have to answer to it. And if you think it was embarrassing to pass that checkbook along to each other, boy, you ain't seen nothing like it's going to be embarrassing having to answer to God himself for what he's given you. Man, it changes, it should, hopefully as we leave here, change the way we look at every dollar that we spend. Change our whole attitude on who owns it and therefore make it mandatory that we check with the owner before we do anything with it. It's no longer the capitalist, I always wanted it and I can afford it. That's not what the Bible teaches. You will answer for it. Also, You'll be rewarded by God if you're faithful. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two also came and said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied and said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Do you realize that if... Get, see, look, look how this frees you up a minute. If God entrusts to you what he believes you can handle and you invest it to further the kingdom of God, you notice something here? Some of us he can trust with more than others. But all of us are required to be obedient. And you know what's great about it? And the reward is the same for both. You follow that? Because he can trust you with more than he can trust me. If you're obedient and I'm obedient, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the only question that he's going to ask is, not how much return did we get, but whether we were faithful. And if we were faithful, every 
Think about this. Every penny, every penny, because God's not measuring in how much you give versus how much somebody else gives, because it's going to be a percentage of whatever that is that God has entrusted you to begin with anyway. And so he's saying that whether I give $10 and you give $10 million, if he's the one that has given me what I, I'm going to share out of anyway, we're going to be rewarded the same because we're equally faithful. Man, I was running yesterday thinking about this. There's not, there's not a dime that you can invest in the kingdom of God that's not going to produce the same results as somebody who's putting 100000 bucks into a program. It's a matter of faithfulness. But it's not an excuse to limit what we can do and say, oh, now I'm faithful, I'm faithful in just this little bit. Hey, you be as faithful as God has blessed you, you continue to be as faithful. But it's not a matter of quantity much to the dismay of the capitalists. He who has more wins. That's not true. It's almost like he who dies with less in the kingdom of God will get more. Give it away. And we'll be rewarded accordingly. But at the same time, if you're rewarded, you'll also be rebuked. The man came, the man who received the one talent came, said, Master, I knew you were a, a uh, hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And his master said, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He's saying that, hey, if you had just made the slightest bit of effort, the tiniest bit of effort, that at least you would have been in line for a reward. Just the smallest amount of faithfulness. This person wasn't faithful at all. And the exciting thing is that it puts us in a situation where all of us are capable, according to what God gives us, to be rewarded. And we will also determine our eternal position by our performance in this life. The whole series on rewards deals with the fact that, hey, you know what? I don't know how many times I wrestle with this with people. We, we had a, went out to dinner last night with another couple, and they said the same thing. You know, hey... All the mansions in heaven are going to be the same size. Everything's going to be the same size. And their logic is because there's no reason why we should feel envious and jealous in heaven. But give me, give me some text. Give me some doctrine. Give me some proof of that belief. See, that's the presupposition we all carry with us because we all want to believe it doesn't matter how we live. We all have eternal life and we're all going to be in heaven together and we're all going to have a good time together and we're all going to have equal-sized mansions and nothing matters what we do. And so when we believe that there's no incentive for you and I to change what we're doing in our lives to be more pleasing to God, that's the great deception of that teaching. If you and I go into 1989 believing that it doesn't matter where you spend your money, how you spend your money, and that we're not accountable for anything, then why would one person want to give to the Lord's work and another person not if all we're going to be is in the same boat together when we get there? That is ludicrous. It makes no sense at all. And Jesus doesn't teach it. In fact, look what he said. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him will be taken from him? If we're a servant, is he going to take away our eternal life because of the way that we lived our lives? Of course not. The Bible doesn't teach that in no way, shape, or form. But what he is saying is that there will be a consequence for what we do in this life. That you and I could put our faith and trust in Christ, and that's why it confuses the world around us who say, gee, but they're Christians and they keep living any way that they want to live. 
And they look at it and go, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even make sense to people who aren't Christians. It certainly shouldn't make any sense to us who know the Word of God. And I say, you're right, it doesn't make any sense because if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, it requires life change. There's got to be drastic change in your life. And in the one particular area that we're talking about this morning is there better be change in your life in the area of finances if you say that you're a Christian. It is where your heart, your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Man, if it's in heaven, then you know what? You realize that you're just passing through and it doesn't make a lot of difference what, what you have, how much you accumulate, because the Bible teaches that it's all going to burn up. It doesn't last anyway. But we hoard and we save and it throws people off and they don't understand and they get all confused. So let me just throw real quick two more thoughts and then we're done. Do you realize, this will blow you away, do you realize God could become indebted to you for what you do on earth? You say, but it's uh, grace that we're saved. That's right. But it also, because, now listen to me, God could be indebted to you and I for the way that we live our lives subsequent for the fact, from the fact that he's given us eternal life through grace and, and faith. You follow what I'm saying? And you say, well, why? Because he is the one who deliberately decided that he would be indebted to us. You could say, God could do anything he wants when he wants to do it. I don't agree with that. Because God has deliberately chosen to limit what he will do based upon what he has told us he will do. He will not change his mind. He will not throw, change the program. He has deliberately decided to confine his actions to what the book of God teaches us. See, a lot of people say, well, God can do anything he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Well, to a certain extent, yeah, you may believe that, but that's not true. Because what he's saying is, whatever I said holds true, and I can't change because I can't lie. So God can't do anything you think he can do. He's limited himself to a certain degree within the context of this book. Quick Greek lesson. Okay? Here we go. Three words that are used in the Bible, and in, in, uh, particularly in the Greek, that have to do with this whole subject of rewards. And it says, the next day, and this is the, the parable of the, um, uh, the Good Samaritan. So the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him. When I return to you, I will, quote, reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Zacchaeus said the same thing. He had stolen from people and he said, if I have cheated.